Welcome to the Well Studying Podcast. This is episode 192. Today is June 22nd, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In response to so many of your uh, requests that I put out more material, I am doing my best to get more episodes out each week. Uh, one thing I will caution you, as you'll find out in today's episode, I may have to do these recordings outside of my office or while traveling on the road, whatever. Sometimes the audio content may be a little sketchy. I ask you to please overlook the flaws and discrepancies and just take the messages for the value they convey and not necessarily for the uh, audio fidelity. In any case, in today's episode, again, I'm going to ignore what's going on in the United States and global markets. Tomorrow, Thursday, June 23rd, is when Britain will vote whether they want to stay in the European Union or whether they want to get out. It's been hyped in the media for weeks and months now. It's been given the cute little title, Brexit. I pretty much covered what I felt about that on the last episode. So for now, we will just wait. Let's see what kind of an outcome comes from the whole thing, one way or the other, whether they stay or whether they go. And irregardless to what type of reaction the markets may have initially, the bottom line is the world will not come to an end. So I'll hold further comment until we see the way that election turns out. What I do want to talk about today is is both timely and historical. And it has to do with specifically what's going on with uh, one or two particular companies or sectors of the economy in today's market. But it also has a broader general message, which is about investing in technology in general. And although I could be using a lot of uh, historical references or, or analogies for this, I want to talk about Marconi and wireless communication. And I want to relate that to what we're seeing right now, primarily with Tesla. Now, again, this isn't an exact analogy. And the message I want to talk about today isn't specific to Tesla or any one technology. The message that I want to get across with, and, and again, I'm using Marconi and wireless communications as a historical perspective. We could be talking about the railroad, the discovery of penicillin, the internet, or any new technology and its effect on the economy and on society. So the reason, though, I'm bringing up Tesla today is, if you've noticed, uh, Tesla has made an offer to purchase Solar City. Now, a lot of people think this is a really great opportunity. Some other people think it might be a scam or a shell game. One reason for the concern about the shell game, and I guess even optimism as to why this may be an excellent opportunity, is the fact that Elon Musk, who's the CEO of Tesla, well, he also owns huge personal holdings in not only Tesla, but also in SpaceX and non-coincidentally also in SolarCity. Now, these are three companies that were originally launched with separate um, mission statements, or shall we say at least addressing the needs of three separate industries. Although you can see how they all are interrelated particularly near-term with the relationship between Tesla, its electric cars, its lithium batteries, its emphasis on the power wall and going electrical applications, and how that may tie directly into SolarCity. Both of those companies also have implications with SpaceX, which, again, non-coincidentally is probably why Elon Musk heavily invested and started all three of those companies. Now, my comments today in no way want to take away from Elon's genius, uh, both in forms of being an entrepreneur and being a visionary. There's no argument there. He clearly, uh, when compared to other 
great entrepreneurs and visionaries throughout history ranks among the best. Nor do I want to call his integrity into question. But again, looking back at history, the fact that he is an undisputed genius and a remarkable, amazing entrepreneur does not mean that every venture that he goes into is going to mean long-term economic success, nor does it mean that he is immune from you know, cutting corners and making the best use of balance sheet engineering and things like that to, to get to the success of his projects. Go back and look at all the you know, luminaries from history that invented great products and brought them to market. Westinghouse, Ford, Edison, Gates, Jobs, I mean, on and on. You can go all the way back from the dawn of recorded history until today and see that not every great entrepreneur or innovator of technology hit it right every time and they were not all above you know, playing some shenanigans. So we have to assume that in Elon's case, he's not immune from these things either. I'm not going to go into all of his history. In fact, I'm not going to cover any of it other than to say that Elon hit his real big initial first success with PayPal. He made billions off of that, and he has used that source of revenue to fund amazing companies and other things that he's interested in. I mentioned SpaceX. I mentioned Tesla. I mentioned Solar City. You know, he's involved in things like the Hyperloop. He's interested in space travel. He's interested in solving global warming problems. He's interested in alternative energies. Uh, you know, he's just an amazing guy. So no dispute there, none at all. But for everybody that is just enamorated with investing in Tesla right now or Solar City or some of these spin-off technologies, I'm not discouraging you from that at all. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't invest in it. But what I do want to point out is that you should always move very cautiously, particularly with new technology. Because technology by its very nature comes and goes. And it doesn't matter how accurate or how smart or how genius or how much passion the inventor or the promoter of that technology may be. Oftentimes, they bite off more than they can chew. Oftentimes, they put on blinders and either you know because of ego or just because of their sheer passion, they ignore all the odds against them. Now, in one way, that's what makes them successful. That's what gives them the genius. But in another way, that blind spot often leads to their failure. This is just human nature, and in fact, it's the history of man. I think if you'll go back and refer to the old Proverbs, you'll read something to the effect that pride cometh before the fall. So right now, with the possible takeover or purchase of Solar City and bringing that under the umbrella directly of Tesla, you know, is that a good opportunity or is it a bad opportunity? I have no idea. I know a lot of people are excited by these new technologies. I know a lot of people are investing specifically in the commodity of lithium because they believe that that's the way of the future. And in fact, you know, short term, they've been correct. I think lithium prices have probably tripled over the last couple of years. But again, I want to be a voice of reason. And I want to remind you that anytime you invest in any technology, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. So if you want to go out there and try and profit from Elon Musk's genius and you want to buy stock or, or shares in something like SpaceX or Tesla or SolarCity or any of the other things he may come up with, move cautiously. When it comes to a specific stock, I rarely would put more than 10% of my portfolio in that one stock. Now, when I'm talking about an exchange-traded fund that may be investing in an entire index or a specific sector of the economy, that's a different story because in those cases, it's split up between, say, 50 to, you know, over 500 companies. 
So would I put 100% of my investment portfolio in the S&P 500 index fund if I think that we're in the middle of, or the beginning of a secular market uptrend? Well, absolutely I would. And I know that there's a risk that, like we saw in the 1970s, in one particular day the market dropped over 20%. Those kind of things happen. That's why there's risk involved. That's why they call it an investment. I also know that in periods when the market collapses, like in 2008, the market can go down over you know, 48% in that S&P 500. And that's also why I'm a proponent of not buying and holding, but pulling your money out when you think you're in troubled times or on thin ice. But there is no way that I'm going to take my entire portfolio and put it into one stock. I'm not going to bet everything on Disney or on Google or on Tesla. Would I bet 5 to 10%? Absolutely, but not 100%. So that's one just big nugget of wisdom I want to share with you. And this is also why I encourage people to not think you're an investor until you get a significant nest egg saved up. Because if you only have $10,000 to invest, 10% of that is only $1,000. And investing $1,000 in Tesla or Microsoft or a biotech company or, or you know pick whatever you want to, generally, by the time that you as an individual investor get to invest in a company and it's traded on the open markets, a $1,000 investment in those companies is probably not going to change your life. That's not to say that long-term dollar cost averaging into a particular company wouldn't work out for you. I'm talking about a one-time $1,000 purchase. In any case, I don't want to go down that road. I just wanted to bring that up. So here's the bottom line that I want to talk about with technology in general, Tesla in specifics. You've heard me talk in past episodes about how perhaps Elon Musk is running a little bit of a shell game. And I'm not saying there's anything illegal or unethical about it. I'm just saying that there's some questionable way they deal with their financing, uh, particularly as it relates to Solar City and all the subprime loans that are being used to put solar panels on the roofs of people's houses that can't afford them. I'm not going to go into detail here. If you search back in the episode, you'll find where I talked about it in specifics. But basically, there's something like more than, I think the number is somewhere in the order of $200 million of what, in effect, you can call subprime loans. And this is debt that Solar City has used to, you know, for customer financing to put solar panels on people's rooftops. So this wasn't done with money that people had. They went into debt. I call this a subprime loan type lending because in many cases, these can be viewed as risky loans where the collateral that was put up for these loans is nothing more than the solar panels themselves. I'm only quoting to you things that I've read in the popular press. I don't have any original research on this, but I mean, go out and Google it. You can read it in uh, you know, publications like the Wall Street Journal, I think Forbes, maybe Fortune Magazine. Those articles are out there. Bottom line is, is that a vast majority of these solar bonds, as they're called, something I think in the neighborhood of maybe as much as 80% or more of them, have not been bundled up and sold off to Wall Street investors, but they've actually been bundled up and sold and are held on the balance sheet of SpaceX, which is you know one of the companies that Elon Musk owns. Not that that's unethical, not that that's illegal, but let's just say it's a curiosity. And again, as I brought up at the beginning of this episode, if you look back through history, you will oftentimes find inventors and entrepreneurs and people like that, that that just were so passionate and believed so much in what they were doing, they put everything on the line to find funding and to create the cash flow to bring their, their dreams to fruition. That's noble, that's what being an entrepreneur and, and uh, in, investing in risk is all about, 
but at the same time, it doesn't mean that those people are always successful. Oftentimes, they bite off a lot more than they can chew. If we look at what's going on with Tesla and, you know, you look at the market capitalization of their company, how many you know billions of dollars it's worth. Tesla has only sold something in the neighborhood of, I don't know, I don't have the exact number in front of me, maybe 60,000 vehicles worldwide. It's a very, very small number. And again, while that doesn't mean that they won't be successful, you have to realize how incredibly risky Elon Musk's enterprises are. If he's right and you invest with him, then you will most likely, you know, reap some very nice rewards. But he's not above being wrong. And since I don't have a crystal ball and since I can't see into Elon Musk's future, I just have to rely on what I've learned from history. Let's just take a step back and let's look at the history of Marconi and of wireless broadcasting. Now, I could use many, many examples. I could talk about the railroads. I could talk about the invention of gunpowder. I could pick virtually any technology that eventually has gone on to be a viable industry, right? The movable type printing press. Pick whatever you want. You can draw similarities to it. But I just want to just briefly talk about Marconi. For those of you that aren't familiar with him, he was a great entrepreneur. And as much as he was a great inventor, he was not a scientist. Many people think that he was a scientist because he did share the Nobel Prize. But in fact, Marconi was much more of a businessman than he was an inventor. He didn't discover radio waves. Um, he didn't discover or invent sending things uh, you know, wirelessly or Morse code or any of that. What his expertise came in was in being able to bundle up some of these new technologies that were coming about at the end of the 1800s and making them commercially viable. So in regards to that, he's very similar to Elon Musk. Elon Musk didn't invent the electrical engine. He didn't invent the electric car. He didn't invent solar energy, any of those things. He is someone that's put his fortune on the line to develop those into viable industries. This is very much the same story as Marconi. What you may not know about Marconi is that he was from a very wealthy family. In fact, although the Italians love to claim Marconi, and with a name like that, I mean, how can you not know that he's a Goomba? But the fact of the matter is, like many Italians, Marconi's mother was actually Irish. She was also extremely wealthy. Her family owned a distilling company which made and sold many name brands of, of whiskey. And, and they're to, in business to this day. Now, what Marconi did as a young man was take an interest in the technologies that were evolving in that time. They had to do with things like the telegraph the evolution of communications, what was happening in the business world, and specifically what was happening with wireless technology. That would be things that we would call today radio, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, all these use some type of electromagnetic radiation in the form of a radio wave, and Marconi was on the early end of that. Today we don't think much about the cost of communication because it's so darn cheap. In Marconi's day, it was extremely expensive uh, to have communications, and although the price was starting to come down, I mean, this is, we're talking about Marconi getting involved in this in business interests sometime in the late 1800s. Prior to the invention of the telegraph, the only overland way to get messages from one place to another was to carry them. You, you carried them aboard ship to get them, you know, inter, intercontinental type transfers. If you wanted to get them across land, you know, in the early, early days, you just had a runner. Go back to the, the Greek and Roman times. They had young men that ran to carry messages. That's really the essence of where we have marathon races today. That's where it all originated. 
or even the the old um, antidote of shooting the messenger, right? The guy that brings the bad news during a battle will oftentimes they'd kill him because he was carrying a bad message that they didn't want to hear. Foot traffic eventually evolved to horses and boats and wagons and eventually railroads, but it was all physical transportation. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that the first telegraph line was put up, and that was revolutionary. That brought the cost of overland communication down exponentially, but it really only worked over land. You see, to get messages from New York to London, you still had to carry them aboard ship because there weren't any telegraph lines across the ocean. Now let me step back here, and I don't want to confuse things from the time they were first invented or put in theoretical use until they were actually, you know, first commercially viable. Now, for example, the telegraph was initially first invented, you know, in like 1830 or, or thereabouts. But it wasn't until 1844 that a message could really be sent any distance. And that, that's when Morris sent a message from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, Maryland. Right? That was 1884. And then people got the idea of, well, hey, if we put this across the ocean, think of how quickly and instantaneously messages will be able to be received. We won't have to wait weeks or months. We'll be able to get information instantaneously and, and Think about how valuable that information will be from a business perspective. You know, if a war occurs or if a crop failure takes place or if a great invention occurs, well, you can act on that information immediately as an investor instead of having to wait three weeks for a ship to come over with the mail. And so by 1866, they did put in a telegraph cable uh, that was capable of sending and receiving telegraph messages across the Atlantic. That went in in like 1866, but it didn't work very well. It was prone to a lot of failure. It, it broke, and, and people kept trying it because it would be so valuable to have in. And in fact, it really wasn't until like right around 1901, you know, another 40 years or so into the future, that the first permanent, really viable, dependable transatlantic telegraph cable was installed. And that's where Marconi comes into the picture and his fascination with wireless communication. He knew the business revenue and profit that was being generated by that transoceanic telegraph cable that, that was basically a monopoly. He could see the potential of a new technology that could use radio waves to communicate information. And so he took his family's fortune and he invested it, much like Elon Musk is investing his personal fortune in, in all the things that e Elon Musk believes in. Marconi was passionate. He put his life's work and his personal fortune on the line. It did earn him a Nobel Prize and it netted him a great personal fortune. But as smart and as brilliant and as foresighted as he was, it wasn't a slam dunk in investment opportunity. Right on the heels of his discovery and his innovation and his commercialization of the technology, there were newer and better solutions. Think in terms of the telephone, which although relying on a, an older technology of wire communication, it was still incredibly successful. And then even along the lines of wireless communication, as brilliant and as successful as Marconi was, he got a lot of things wrong. And I'll give you just one example. He initially spent a, a literal fortune creating his first viable transmission station that was capable of communicating across the Atlantic. He made a lot of money on that because, again, it, there was really no other alternative besides ship traffic and the only one viable transatlantic cable that was in place. 
but the technology he was using then was a spark gap technology that literally required so much energy use that he really had to construct his own electrical generation power plant to create enough wattage to be able to send those messages. And while it was revolutionary when he discovered it, it wasn't but a few years to decades later that it was basically totally made obsolete by other technologies. Technologies that built on what he learned and on the mistakes he made. Now this isn't unique to Marconi or unique to any technology. What I want to stress is that in the environment we live in, things are changing much more rapidly than they did in Marconi's day or in Westinghouse's day or even in the days of people like Bill Gates. Now, we've talked about this before. Remember, the undisputed cell phone that was used by every Fortune 500 CEO and that was intricately you know, wired and, and uh, interweaved with the corporate enterprise communication uh, networks was the BlackBerry. And yet, within just a few years, the iPhone obliterated the BlackBerry, knocked it completely out of, out of use. So technology is changing rapidly. It changed for Marconi it will change for guys like Elon Musk. Just to give you one idea of how the experts can be wrong and frequently are wrong and, and how technology can evolve, I'll draw an analogy here with amateur radio. If you're a listener to this podcast, you know, it's no secret that one of my hobbies, in fact, one of my main hobbies is amateur radio or ham radio. Well, if you look at the history of how that came about and the frequencies that were designated to be used by the amateur community, and that's today what we would call high-frequency things around the range of 1 megahertz to 30 megahertz. Those sectors of the spectrum were issued to the amateur community because they were basically felt to be worthless, or at least of little value. You see, in those days, in the, in the original days of, of Marconi and the early experimenters with wireless communication, they felt that the secret to long-distance communication was an extremely, extremely long wavelength. And I mean something in the neighborhood of like 2,000 meters. That's where they were focusing, and that's where Marconi spent all of his money building his original transmission stations. That's why it took so much energy and so much power, and you know why not too many years later they found out it was so inefficient. So a little side note of technology there. You know, the reason that ham radio operators have the frequencies they do today, which, which basically sit right in between commercial AM radio and FM radio, the only reason those came about is because the early experts, the leaders of the industry, the people in government, they felt that that real estate didn't have any value, but they were proved to be wrong. That's a big lesson that we can learn from history. So whether you're investing in Tesla or something that Elon Musk has dreamed up, or whether it be a completely different technology, just be aware that we live in an age where things are changing so rapidly, nothing is a sure thing. And that even when a visionary like Marconi or Musk initially get it right and head in the, in the correct direction, the end result, which eventually succeeds, can be much different. So when you go into these new technologies or these more speculative forms of investment, don't commit more than 10% of your overall portfolio. Be ready to pull the plug when it looks like it's not working out or when the technology may be fading. Don't get enamorated with a cult of personality or an unwavering or blindsided love for the technology. Again, going back to an old proverb, remember the phrase, this too shall pass. Don't discount the fact that an older technology may be repackaged or repurposed to leapfrog ahead 
of what may seem as today to be the new technology. For example, when we talked about Marconi, I mentioned that although wireless obviously has become a dominant form of communication, for the first hundred years or so, cable-type communications, like the telephone, really made all the money. And even today in the 21st century, you know, companies that rely on cable, like Comcast, still make a significant amount of money. So could alternative forms of energy, like solar, like wind energy, maybe like lithium batteries and products that come out to take advantage of that, like Tesla's Powerwall, will all that be successful? Well, well possibly. But don't disregard some older technologies. And I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I know a lot of you are going to say I'm crazy, but don't be surprised if you see a resurgence in nuclear energy. So take that for what it's worth. You might hear me talk about that more in future episodes. But remember, there's never any one path to wealth or opportunity. So you always have to be willing to change your opinion or change your mind or change your direction as conditions change. And so until our next episode, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.